Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Your Own Personal Beatles with me, Robin Allender, and... My name's Jack Pelling, still. Hello. Uh, welcome to the show. This week we've got an excellent guest. It's Ed Dowie, who is a fantastic musician, uh, songwriter, singer. His album, The Obvious Eye, came out last year and is absolutely wonderful. We had some good chats about the Beatles and kind of more... It got a bit existential at the end as we relaxed into <laughs> each other's company, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, we talked about sort of the inherent merits of music, what makes mm. it good. Quite a lofty yeah. subject. <laughs> yeah, lots, uh, um, lots to talk about there. But Ed's own music is is fantastic, and I, and I kind of it's quite uncategorizable, I would say. Yeah. So it's kind of we start kind of by talking about that by talking about his own specific influences and how the the Beatles kind of fit into his own kind of influences. Yeah, um, and his album, The Obvious Eye, that it was one of my albums of the year last year, is absolutely amazing. I think it was one of six music's albums of the year. So we chat about his sort of process, his process, and, um, you know, how he makes music and where he sort of draws those inspirations from. And he's really interesting. He's got some fascinating techniques of immersive music writing practices and stuff, which is really fabulous. And we talk about Travis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we talk about, well, we go around the houses a lot, but we also talk about Ludovico Einaudi, which we maybe we mm-hmm. should kind of contextualise a bit. Basically, we start talking about a review of Ludovico Einaudi, who's a composer and musician that was in The Guardian in 2019, which sort of did the rounds a bit at the time because it was a one-star review. And we kind of talk about the kind of concepts that the journalist is writing about in that review, which is makes for mm. quite an interesting chat. Yeah, so all that to look forward to. We're going to do weekly winnings this week, but I think we're going to do it at the end of the show yeah. uh, because we've got a lot to cover before we crack on with Ed Dowie. But this week sees the re-release of the concert for George, which was the tribute concert put on for George Harrison in 2002 at the Royal Albert Hall, star-studded. I used to have it on uh, DVD. So I know it very well, but you got a little preview of the jazzed up Dolby Atmos 4K version the other day. Yes, thanks so much to Danny Barnard, who invited us along to a screening of the concert for George at the Dolby facility in Soho Square. It was absolutely fantastic to see it again, and it sounded phenomenal. Mm. And Danny Harrison was there himself. Amazing. I got to say hello to him, and he was a lovely, lovely guy. So humble and so enthused about his father's music. You know, just incredible watching it. You know, he was 24 when he was playing in it, and it's just such a lot to be kind of dealing with, and he he deals with it all so well. And I think it was the first sort of time that, because he's not really been that much in the public eye, so it was 
the first time we saw him on sort of big platform. Yeah. I remember people falling over themselves at the time because at, in 2002 he looked so like George. Yeah. It, yeah. it was really uncanny and because there's behind him there's all these pictures of George when he's young and you do find yourself double taking a bit in that. Yeah, and, and obviously the concert is incredibly moving. But, you know, watching it now from 20 years distance is even more so because, you know, since then we've lost Billy Preston, Terry Jones, mm. Neil Innes, Ravi Shankar. Tom Petty. Eric Clapton. (laughs) (laughs) Lost in a different way. Um, But, you know, so it's got that kind of added level of kind of sadness to it, you know, but Mm. it really is so good. I mean, Billy Preston's performance, you know, isn't it a pity? My Sweet Lord, yeah. Yeah, My Sweet Lord. And the the thing that really got me was Ringo doing Photograph. I just thought Mm. it was so moving. Ringo comes on. And there's something so strange, and he has this natural eccentricity about him. And there's something kind of other about him, and he brings so much colour to the performance. And, um, I mean, it's a poignant song anyway, but, you know, I found that really, really moving. Do they show the whole of the Ravi Shankar first half, then? No, 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 it's, it's kind of, it's edited together in the same way the, the right. previous release of it was. But the, the Ravi Shankar bit is, is beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I, I love the ending. The Joe Brown bit gets me every time mm. in a, a more simple world before hipsters and ukuleles <laughs> collided. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but please go to concertforgeorge.com because it is being screened around the world on November the 29th, which is the anniversary. So you can see it's in Argentina, it's in Australia, it's in Brazil, it's in Chile, it's in Mexico, it's in New York, it's in Hungary. It's all over the world. But, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're near a cinema that's showing it, do go along because it really is worth seeing on the, on the big screen. And one more thing, the Blu-ray audio will be released in February next year, so that's worth pre-ordering now. And the other thing I wanted to say about Danny Harrison, Mm. he actually told me something which is really funny, which is that he edited the DVD credits for when it was released on DVD and forgot to put his own... Yeah, and he forgot to put his own name on it. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, that's uh, that's from the the Dark Horse's mouth. There you go. I mean, I doubt (laughs) doubt Lewison's got that fact. (laughs) Superb. So, should we have a little bit of correspondence? Yes, please. Let's do it. Uh, This is an email from James Taylor, presumably not the singer-songwriter or the executive producer of Taskmaster, um, who I did have a nice chat with uh, about Paperback Writer yesterday, so it could be him. (laughs) Um, But if it is, hi, James. Um, Dear Jack and Robin, Thank you both very much for YOPB and all the joy it brings on a weekly basis. It really has encouraged me to go on some deeper dives in the last few years and has unearthed some real treasures I was formerly not aware of. This has led me to mentally make a list of favourite Beatles moments, i.e. those little sections, whether it be just a note, a chord, a bar or phrase, etc., that really stick out and get you every time. There are some big hitters, i.e. the final chord of a day in the life, the comical anvil hits in Maxwell Silverhammer, or the pan across after the intro of Here Comes the Sun. I just wondered, what were some of your favourites? Some, but not all, of mine include the opening note in I Feel Fine that pans across and rings out, the 16th shuffle that is presumably a tambourine in Paperback Writer, Uh, I noticed this more, or it became more prominent in the take one and two slash backing track version on the super deluxe version of Revolver, but makes the song instantly more funky. The single high-pitched note from Nowhere Man at the end of the guitar solo, which I think you use in one of your jingles. Good spot, we do, although it's actually not the same harmonic. I changed it so we didn't get in trouble. 
Um, <laughs> I'd be interested to hear some of your favourite moments. Keep up the good work. Regards, James. So we've talked recently about some of those sort of transportative Beatle moments that you look forward to every time you listen to them. Um, what were yours? You particularly like the end of Magical Mystery Tour? Oh, yeah, the kind of acid trip jazz bar vibe of that <laughs> yeah. I obviously love. Um, I mean, if it's little moments, I mean, a moment I always love just because it's, I guess, like a lovely human kind of moment. And John Lennon in I Want You, She's So Heavy, changing pickup switch on his guitar you know, and the mm. little breaks that you can hear that little yeah. kind of click. And, the, you know, it's just one of those amazing kind of moments where you're, you're kind of in the room a bit with them. Yeah. I love the human touches. I love the John's vocal performance in And Your Bird Can Sing, where the last time round, he kind of goes, but you won't see me, like that. And it's almost like he's belting it a bit, you know. Mm. And it's just a slightly different kind of performance it's really human i love things like that what about you i like a lot of the moments where a bit of prominence sort of scouse slips in mm. there's a few examples of that but in terms of sort of big moments that i look forward to every time i don't know i mean the fanfare return of never give you your money in the medley there's quite a few moments in the medley the lookout mm. any sort of you know blisters on my fingers yeah a up yeah exactly all that stuff yeah i'll be thinking about it more consciously though now yeah. That's a, that's a lovely email. And if you have any particular Beatles moments like that, then do get in touch. You can email us, jack at homespunsounds.com or get in touch with us on social media at Personal Beatles on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and the like. If you're enjoying the show and you want to show your appreciation and you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can always leave us a review. We enjoy reading them. It's very nice to see them. And five-star reviews help other people find the podcast and help us get featured and stuff like that. So that would be superb. This episode coming up with Ed Dowie uh, is going to be extended for uh, subscribers. So if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash personal Beatles and subscribe there, you can and get ad-free early episodes of everything this series as well as all the extended versions of previous series and some bonus apps we've got another one coming up soon then you can do that and you can also subscribe from within the apple podcasts app we'll crack on with the fantastic ed dowie and we'll be back at the end of the show with a bit of weekly wings and uh, we'll tell you a little bit about what's coming up over christmas for now here's the brilliant ed dowie <laughs> This week, our guest is Ed Dowie. We're delighted to welcome him to the podcast. <laughs> Hello, Ed. Hi, Robin. <laughs> How's it going? Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. I'm, uh, all good. You said off mic that you're uh, recording a new album or in the middle of at the moment. Yeah. How is that coming along? It's, it's good, I think. I mean, it's bad some days. But <laughs> it's definitely all consuming at the moment so yeah. mm. how long does it typically take you i don't i've no idea but uh i did this time i did the day there was a day where i thought i think i've started my album today which was i think in may or something mm. and i'm hoping to finish it next month oh right so, so you're quite far through the process then. yeah well oh, nice. yeah i don't know we'll see mm. but i'm enjoying it so it's really i mean obviously like we're friends I feel like it's so. It's quite weird to talk to you in this in this kind of way, <laughs> but um, 
I, when I said that uncategorizable thing at the start, I do think that is true for a lot of your songs. Do you, do you have a specific set of influences that you're kind of thinking of when you're writing a song, or do you let the song happen? I, I definitely have no idea. Right. Yeah, it's definitely more just doing something and trying to listen to, to what it wants or what I want it to want. Mm. How do you usually get categorised in music press or by li- labels? I, or? I don't know, and I've never been very good at myself at describing other things. Yeah. And, if, you know, when you meet someone and they say, oh, what kind of music, you know, you're a musician, what do you make? I, <laughs> I have a really boring, not very informative response, which is, oh, it's, it's sort of a, a bit experimental and electronic and I sing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I quite like, it has been described as odd pop. Odd pop. Right, which I okay. quite like because I feel if someone else described something as odd pop, I'd want to hear that. Mm. So. Yeah, that sounds much more uh, intriguing than like, art rock or yeah. something yeah. else that could be odd pop adjacent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like very... Um, there's a, it, For me, it feels like there's a classical influence, maybe because the piano playing, or the, the, the kind of minimalism influence. Mm. The, when I first heard your stuff, I thought of Wim Martins. Do you know him at all? No, the Belgian composer. Um, Just very, very kind of... Um, Kind of a bit. He was a big influence on Jan Tiersen, actually. Who, oh, really? <laughs> my uh, former boss. Um, but that kind of very nicely constructed, very melodic, minimal classical right. music. A kind of like a Philip Glasgow's pop kind of vibe. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I really. I mean, I really like it when someone says, "Oh, you, that reminds me of someone," because yeah. it's usually someone never heard of. Or <laughs> right. I'll listen to them and I. Either love it or be offended. Yeah, have a listen. There's a great <laughs> song called Their Duet, which is very, very nice. But um, definitely one of the most striking things, I think, about your music is your sense of melody. I think mm. you're a brilliant writer of melodies, which brings us on to the Beatles. <laughs> so where, where do the Beatles sit in your influence house? <laughs> if you'd asked me that question a couple of years ago, and in fact, when you started the podcast and you said to me, do you like the Beatles? Mm. <laughs> I, I, my answer was, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't really know. Yeah. And it was only when I started, to be honest, this is uh, kind of an odd one because your podcast <laughs> has actually been part of that, a big part of that journey in a way because it, listening to it and the sort of emphasis on the personal with people's mm. relationship with the band made me realising how, how much they were part of my childhood as much as I do have a kind of classical background to a degree because my dad's a musician and mm. conducts choirs and plays the organ and the piano oh, and stuff right. so that, and I, I grew up singing in the choir and then I played mm. the organ and stuff but the, the you know the, the the only pop records if you like that my parents had were Beatles records mm. so they were I loved them, <laughs> yeah. and it, and it's only you know looking back because I think because they were so just ubiquitous in my growing up, it, you you can forget about them in a way that mm. why that you know, how important they were. Yeah. So it's been really wonderful the last couple of years just sort of rediscovering mm. them a bit. To be honest, it's great. It's strange the sort of classical music relationship with the Beatles, particularly in the way it's taught, mm. because I 
grew up with a pretty much exclusively classical music kind of education. Right. But they were always, from very early on, they were in a lot of books and, you know, orchestras would play them at family-friendly events or something. And then they were on arrangements for jazz and stuff like that. I think they were appreciated by those musicians and people like Leonard Bernstein and stuff talked about the Beatles in the way that probably no other like contemporary band have been yeah. treated sort of ubiquitously positively mm. by classical music. who so tend to have quite a kind of knee jerk. I guess that made them slightly uncool for quite a lot of people. Mm. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it would be like the, the fun song that you do at the end of term in a choir or something like the, <laughs> yeah. the Beatles song. Or We're going to sing Let It Be today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But did you sort of learn Beatles songs? What were your instruments when you grew up? I, I learned the, the piano right. and then later the organ. And I remember having a, a Beatles songbook. And it's interesting, I can't remember, I think it was the guy from Architects, was it, a few mm. weeks ago. And you, you, talk, you spoke about, you feel like, uh, in a sort of kind of classical or orchestral environment, that McCartney gets more of a... Looking. Yeah, 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 for and, sure. And it's, I remember there were certain songs in this piano book, and maybe it's partly to do with the arrangement. But yeah. something like Strawberry Fields, I remember trying to play that on the piano, and it just, mm. it sounds rubbish. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you, you try and play that melody, it just, yes. where, where is mm. it? Well, you know, yeah. And they're also really badly notated, which is something we kind of yeah. touched on mm. in recent episode as well. But sort of, so many of those books that you could buy at quite considerable cost were very sort of reductive mm. yeah. um, because they were trying to sort of simplify the things and Paul's kind of melodies because they're sort of, they have such a kind of um, obvious form yeah. that they're quite easy to sort of reharmonize. Whereas like John's stuff is, it's so harmonically ambiguous a lot of the time that mm. if you yeah. try and make straight one, four, five chords out of it, it just sounds quite <laughs> yeah. bland. Right, so what I mean, so like, the, I think I was talking about the, recently... So like Bill Frizzell, the guitarist covers Julia, and just to get that single note melody working mm. takes oh, wow. so much kind of you know, <laughs> yeah. skill in the yeah, delivery yeah. of it. To yeah. kind of well, because it's so much more about what's going on underneath it yeah. and the melody's relationship mm. with what the chordal stuff is doing. Yeah. Right. Whereas Paul's is, you know, Paul writes melodies like Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know. <laughs> um, that's not a criticism, you know. It sounds pretty damning. <laughs> but, yeah. So was it that you didn't like the John songs or you just thought I know, they didn't I love, work in I loved them, I, but I just was very disappointed when, with some of, trying to play these, mm. some of the songs. Like, I mean, I think that's probably it, actually, the sort of, the way things get simplified. And yeah. It's easier to simplify for whatever reason. Mm. Yeah. I think Beatles are such a cool chords band. Mm. I think when you play the guitar, you either get into doing riffs or doing learning chords. <laughs> right, yeah, what, that's what, a good were theory. You, were you chords or oh, Yeah, a chord, chord guy. Chord yeah, guy. I'm a chord yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not many riffs on your last record. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kind of riff light. Riff yeah. light, yeah. So um, how old were you when you were learning, you know, learning piano and had, having I think this I, Beatles book? I think I learned the piano pretty early from mm. about four or five or something because mm -hmm. my dad taught me. Actually, no, my, I think my grand taught me to begin with and my dad taught me. Mm -hmm. So I was surrounded by music from a very early age. And there's some, I mean, there's, it's interesting. 
I don't know, you get to a certain point in life where you start looking back and realising where your influences come from and stuff. Because that's mm. something I've never been aware of. It's only after you think, oh, actually, that makes loads of sense. Yeah. But, but sort of realising the sort of power of music mm. and... And feeling really lucky to be influ- to be introduced to that at a young age, mm. and to, to you know to be introduced to that that that's a good thing and a, and a fine thing, you know, like crying over music and crying over something because it's beautiful or because it's sad or because it's amazing. Mm. And I I, I'm, I don't know, maybe I don't know. I feel like a lot of people probably don't have that kind of. No, experience. I think it's yeah. If you grow up in a musical family, I assume that that's more natural. Do, have you got siblings that have? Were musicians and stuff? Not, not really. They sort of learnt instruments, but they didn't really carry yeah. on particularly. But they, mm. you know, like music. Mm. <laughs> I mean, one of my earliest musical memories is being absolutely terrified. My dad was uh, rehearsing Peter and the Wolf mm-hmm. with a with a, a singer or something, and I just remember that being utterly terrified. I had to leave the house. Really, <laughs> of the wolf theme on the uh, yeah. yeah. A big, grey wolf came out of the forest. Revisiting the Beatles sort of years later, it's been amazing just realising all those songs that had such an impact. When I listen to them now, it's still, you know, it's so moving. Mm. I think I remember texting you at one point just saying I'm in tears listening to She's Leaving Home. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, it's wonderful to kind of reflect on that and realise, yeah. to, to appreciate things that maybe were just everywhere and mm. can take it for granted. Mm. Yeah, I think Peppa is such a kind of emotional record, but I've mm. never been able to separate whether it, that's because it's the first one that I sort of really played on repeat and jammed it into my head. And I remember being quite frightened of uh, Good Morning, Good Morning. And I, that's probably still probably why I don't uh, like yeah. it to this day. It was yeah. so cacophonous and yeah. those horns were <laughs> overwhelming. I think there's just something, when you ha- you're surrounded by music as, as a child, listening to it when you grow up, there's something just visceral about it. I mean, I, I've had this just through listening to Revolver a lot recently, with mm. you know the new box set and everything, that Yellow Submarine conjures this image in my mind, and as soon as I try and picture it, it's gone. Oh, like it's really? kind of there's this, this just this world it creates, but I can't put my finger on it. Wow. You know, it's just, but but it's like a lot of things from childhood, and music just had that very powerful connection. I I, I always feel lucky that I grew up in the eighties where the the pop pop music in the 80s was just amazing really with yeah. mm. um, Tears for Fears and Depeche Mode or something Wham as well just huge choruses yeah. and I think that was a big thing for me and my brother it was like why is that chorus so good why is that <laughs> melody so good like the Aztec camera as well <laughs> I don't know and um, Jude Rogers writes really really well about this in yeah. her book but this idea that s- somehow just certain melodies just have something special about mm. them and, and then the Beatles obviously just which are so skilled at that, just having just melodies that, well, that kind of feeling of, you know, they sound like you've heard them before. Mm. So there's something almost mystical about it, you know. Yeah. Do you think that is specifically an 80s thing or do you think that's because you grew up in... Because I would say (laughs) a similar thing about sort of early 90s pop music that I was never really into, but if you listen to 
sort of now records from the early nineties. Mm. Melody was king mm. on radio, you know, pop radio music stations. Yeah, and the way that music was written, I suppose, because it was you know those kind of hit factory mentality where what, what what do you can you give a specific example of 90s? well basically there's a game that i quite like to play when we're quite pissed in the summer <laughs> around the, when someone's got a speaker or whatever yeah. where you go through a, a now and you have to guess yeah, which one it is right right um and i was just always struck by tlc songs or whatever mm, they are okay, they're just yeah, so yeah. do i remember them you know instantly after hearing a bar because there were I was that age to hear them, or were melody more important then? And now we live in a kind of more, there's more emphasis on rhythm, I suppose. Post-hip-hop being the predominant pop music. Maybe people are now more interested in in rhythm and percussion and beats and stuff. Yeah, I think there's something in that. And Obviously, you know, it's to do with being a child in the 80s. But I do think there is something very interesting about the 80s. It was this kind of peculiarly bombastic decade and it was kind of quite similar to the 60s, I think, in some ways, because there was so much this mad celebratory music. Like mm. Queen Live at Wembley, I don't think could have happened in any other decade. Yeah. Because there's something so sincere about it, so without irony, in this, mm. you know. And I think in many ways that's what we are drawn to about 60s music. Mm. It's so purely expressed. You're kind of lucky to, in some ways to live in that grew up in that era mm. and before the 90s and all the sort of cynicism that's sort yeah of, mm. you know that it, it was bombastic and it was like you know unashamedly big and mm. brush and things mm. that's quite a, a wonderful thing really. yeah. <laughs> um, i mean we all hate scared Th- of it. we all hate thatcher we're not, you know <laughs> yeah. not, don't want anyone to think that's what we're <laughs> going for with Talking of the 80s and melody, you mm. said that you've been listening to Pipes of Peace this week, yeah. which I've got in my uh, record collection. So, and we, I thought we'd refresh our memories of it early, <laughs> yeah. earlier. Um, but what <laughs> what made you uh, whip out uh, your peace pipe? <laughs> I, it's kind of interesting you said about the the, the thing of do you, is it, do you like it because because it was you were at the right time because. I, I wanted. To, I, I think I'd listen to "So Bad." Is it or "So Sad"? What's that one where he sings really high? Well, yeah, and we were just remarking on how lovely and, that. And is. I um so bad. I saw yeah. that. I saw that it was on Pipes of Peace, and I thought I don't know that album, so I listened to that album, and uh, the the songs I knew, I I loved, and then mm. the other ones I was not so <laughs> impressed with. <laughs> and it was interesting thinking. Uh, is this because is this just because I liked these when I was young, or yeah. you know, mm. what about it? And it really made me laugh when, uh, as an example of that that average person song, yeah, yeah, when that came on, I, I thought this is absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> and it really made me laugh. The thought of maybe big Michael Jackson fans kind of buying this yeah, album because yeah. there's a couple of Michael Jackson songs in there, and, and then listening to that, like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. But then after listening to it, I kind of just found myself thinking about, it, and then listening to, it, I've listened to it about, I don't know, about ten times in the last week. Wow. And I, I still can't decide quite what I think about it. Is it, is it awful or is it <laughs> some kind of strange? Genius. <laughs> is, it, is it one of the songs that... <laughs> I've got a suspicion it might be the former. <laughs> yeah. is, it, is, it, is it a song where you're listening to that's always on the pleasure-pain principle? Yeah, mm, absolutely. You, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all those kind of... 
you know, the end of the line repeating yeah, waitress. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite line is, I met a woman working as a waitress, so I asked what she did. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's self-explanatory. Uh, yeah, and it just goes on for so... There's three verses. This, yeah. If you haven't heard this song, it's basically Paul McCartney's got a, a big thing about... I suppose just the ordinariness. I mean, that's his big yeah. subject, really. Isn't yeah. It? So uh, this is a, one of his big songs about ordinariness, as, as the title suggests. So he, he meets an engine driver in the first verse who says that what he really wants to do is work with lions in a zoo. <laughs> then in the second verse, he meets a waitress who wanted to be a sort of Hollywood actress, but the part was given to a kid. Yes, the part was given to a kid. Yes, sir, you heard it right. <laughs> I, I love, the, I love those end of the end of the line. Like it sort of slows down and gets yeah. really sort of maudlin on the line. But the part was given to a kid. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like why, he's making it up. Why? As he's going yeah. And what's the last verse? A boxer. He wanted to be taller. I, that's a lovely line. He looked into the corners of his memory. That's a great mm. lyric, isn't it? Great. Um, but he always said he had a feeling that he lacked a little extra height. Yeah. So is that, that's, that's it. These few years are definitely his artistic low points, I think. Or have the, have the potential to be. Because this is the pull of Give My Regards to Broad Street, where he's kind of obsessed with this idea of, of being normal, isn't it? It's almost like a fancy yeah, of right. the man who's got everything. Um, well, a, who I'm, just wants, just desperately wants to be a waitress. I, I've yeah. definitely got a real... Um, Soft spot for that. I mean, I love Give, Me, Give My Regards to Broad Street. Do I mean, you? I, yeah. I mean, the album. I did, the album. I've, yeah, I've yeah, probably yeah. only seen the film once in years ago. So uh, that's like, enough. It's probably uh, <laughs> not as good as I remember. <laughs> but I remember, like, all those orchestral bits in there. I loved it. Some of the music and the yeah. arrangements. And the, and the Beatles songs are fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, well, there's a line in here on Keep Undercover on Pipes of Peace that I find really disappointing where he says. <laughs> Well, what good is butter if you haven't got bread? I mean, it's not a great. But then, what good is art when it hurts your head? I mean, this is the oh, this wow. is this is oh, the pool of. Yeah. What, what about Carnival, Carnival of Light? You know, I think he's in a sort of be. Randy Newman esque character. Here, oh, he's his character. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay. It's a Stuart Lee What's character. the um, bin lid one? Oh, the bin lid one. Yeah, this is a What's great. What's the lyric. bin lid one? The other me. The other me, which is pretty bad. But as we were discussing. It's got this kind of sprinkle of Paul McCartney magic on it, where the, it's just so listenable. Yeah. And the melody mm. is so brilliant. He but can't some help the, write uh, a good song, basically. Yeah, but some yeah. of the lyrics, yeah. as I'm sure you're about to... <laughs> I know I was a crazy fool for treating you the way I did, but something took hold of me and I acted like a dustbin lid. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. It's the, the greatest songwriter of, the, yeah. of his generation. Yeah. But, I mean... It gives you hope, though, doesn't it? I wrote down in my notes here, pipes of peace, outsider art, question mark. Because <laughs> you know, it's like what you're saying about average person, a Michael Jackson fan listening to it. Like, what is it? What, what kind is of it? music is this? Yeah. It's because so it's weird. incredibly, like, produced. And yeah. Sort of, mm. I feel like some somebody else could have made that song and put all the, put so much work into yeah. it and it would be the best thing they've ever made. Yeah. Mm. And I'm think, not saying, I'm still not saying it's good. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I but, yeah. I think like, I think so many great Beatles songs, they came up with the song and then it was like, how should we do it? And it's like, mm. well, let's try and sound like The Who or, you know, let's try and sound like, you know, a gospel song or, you know, mm. that, let's kind of contextualise it somehow. But when you just have the song, it's weird how that kind of, 
all falls away and like you're kind of left with this like well what am I actually trying to do so I find it kind of quite fascinating Pipes yeah. of Peace because it's sort of stuck between this like I'm not really sure what kind of music this is right. and that kind of makes yeah. it really interesting yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a, a lot of that in that era though isn't there because there's a whole new sort of paint palette Mm. In terms of all the, you know with all these drum machines and mm. these really over the top, everyone's going a little bit crazy. Yeah, and I guess if you're forty-five year old Paul or whatever you are, forty-year-old Paul, and you're in probably a bit of a musical identity crisis, anyway, <laughs> you just nab Michael Jackson because <laughs> you can. Because <laughs> yeah. you can, like, yeah. But yeah. it's still really good, though. I mean, it's still a good album. Yeah, I mean, my friend, uh, friend slash enemy of the show. Um, <laughs> bought me that for my birthday as a sort of ironic present because he's a uh, Beatles sceptic. Uh, but um, yeah, the joke was on him because it's, Cause it's, it's good. great. Yeah. It's great. I mean, there's, yeah, I'm an average person. I think I'm probably <laughs> coming down on the anti side of the fence. Pipes of Peace, but, the um, song is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. and So Bad yeah, is yeah. really great. Like yeah. one of the great solo Paul songs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really beautiful. Listening to, to uh, Anthology 3, there's that uh, version of Junk on there. Mm. Yeah. And I love that. I think yeah. that's absolutely amazing. So but I don't like the version on McCartney or whatever. Really? Mm. They're quite similar, aren't they? They're very similar. But there's something in that that I feel like I'm constantly, probably everyone, you know, feels like that. I'm constantly worried about, of sort of improving a song, in you know, mm. inverted commas, and making it worse, you know. There's always that yeah. thing of, like, if you keep working on something, and how do you know? I'm sure Paul thinks it's much better on, on mm. thing, but there's something amazing about the sort of rough quality of that one. And, yeah. it's, and there's, like, little bits of feedback and sort mm. of half half done lyrics and stuff and I think yeah. it's just I think it's amazing I think and it's, it's I think it still feels really unfinished on McCartney mm. you know it's but that's so funny isn't it how can you write such an amazing little hook mm. and a beautiful melody and then you just cannot you know it's like you've reached the end of the road creatively and you can't do anything apart from repeat the verses and do a bit of whistling or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But um, that was probably why he missed, you know, collaborating so much because he, mm. there must have been a few situations like that where someone comes and picks it up and yeah. writes a new bit to it and finishes it off and you must feel kind of almost bereaved of your creative partner when you have something that good and you just yeah. can't make it work. There's a brilliant yeah. orchestral version of it. Have you heard that? It, it worked. I mean, no, it kind of goes back to what we were so. saying, but it works so well. Really? With an orchestra is just such a beautiful melody yeah. do you like listening to the anthology stuff I had the th number three you know whenever it came out mm. and that one I absolutely loved I guess that's the period that I liked the most especially mm. at that point and yeah I think that so that's that's one of those ones where it really conjures up a period in my own mm. kind of life of mm. I went to university when I was 18 and I didn't actually last very long I was only there for six months and dropped mm. out but mm. um that whole period is summed up in that, and I listened to that album over and over and over again. Mm. The course I did there was this contemporary art course, mm. and I wasn't ready to go to university, and I kind of blagged my way onto this course and didn't really know anything about contemporary art, if I'm completely honest. <laughs> and I had to, the first project I had what to do... What good is art when it hurts your head, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. As a wise man yeah. once said. 
And uh, the first project you had to do, you could just do anything you like and it would be presented to the whole year and stuff. So I absolutely didn't know what to do because I don't think I'd actually ever made anything really. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I think they're called rebuses or re a rebus, you know, like a puzzle where it's oh, yeah. kind of pictures and letters. Mm. So if oh, it was right. the word at, it would be a picture of a cat with a C crossed out. I thought you meant the Scottish that's what he's, he's That's what he's named after. Rebus is oh, named right, after. okay. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. There we go. I, I, I did one of those on sort of A1 paper of the whole of the song Maxwell Silver Hammer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was pretty awful. I remember good. people looking at it going, oh, they're trying to be nice about it. Mm, but yeah. Do you still have it? No, oh. no, 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 I got rid of it. Why Maxwell Silver Hammer? I don't know. I think I was just listening to that album a lot. And yeah. I just mm. really liked it. Yeah, really? Yeah, I loved that song. Mm. I really, you know. That's a podcast first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always really liked it as a child. Mm. And then um, I think I let people convince me it was bad. But uh, that's, now that's I, the trouble, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Where, where does your actual opinion lie somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. I remember listening. I love that thing where you listen to a song that you listen to as a child, and you you completely remember the feeling of it of mm. first mm. listening to it. And like I remember, just um, my parents had several of the albums, but they also had the. I don't know if it was a single or something. It was from Magical Mystery Tour, and it was like oh, a the picture EP. book or something. Yeah, like yeah. And it had your mother should know on there. Yeah, yeah. And I. I I, that was like the best thing I'd ever heard mm. in my entire life when I listened to that song. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know, as much as I could listen to it now and think, I don't know, but it's still, I still like it. Mm. I think oh, it's, yeah. I, I, it's that line. I like, there is even something like that where it's got this sort of music y something, but there's something really mm. pain, it pains me a bit. Mm. I find it painfully sad at, at a certain point in there. Yeah. yeah, it's quite a nostalgic. There's a there is a kind of like yearning in there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, mm. it's quite idealistic. Again, it's another <laughs> one that's a bit unfinished for me. That song, I'd quite like a really? little. It's a bit repetitive, and then you, when he Paul yeah. likes to do a verse of like da 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 da, write another verse. Yeah, it's yeah. not as uh, appealing after after that when he starts mm. yeah. daring. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I like that you kind of mentioned it a couple of times, this 
idea of being drawn to music that has a very powerful emotional effect on you. I mean, I suppose yeah. that's fairly self-explanatory. But like, where, where did you kind of go to after the Beatles? What other music did you listen to before you started making your own music? There was classical stuff. I remember, I remember, you know, performances of like uh, St Matthew Passion, just mm. finding that unbelievably yeah. emotional, and like not even knowing how to cope with the mm. kind of emotional response to that. Mm. And and Elgar's Dream of Drontius, I remember my dad playing that and playing in that in Winchester Cathedral or somewhere. Yeah. You know, so that sort of thing. And then, uh, uh, you know, other music, I think a real, I don't know, touchstone for me was um, Julian Cope. Oh, right. That was someone who really, that, that kind of really opened me up, whatever age I was, like 13, 14 or something. Mm-hmm. And that really influenced me. I feel like it's still... That's probably the music I've listened to most. Right. That makes a lot of sense mm. with your music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you quite like sort of choral stuff then? Is, do you think that comes from singing in... I guess so, yeah. I mean, I don't sit around and listen to much choral stuff. Yeah. Mm. There's, um, do you know, uh, who is it? It's Mendelssohn, uh, Hear My Prayer. Mm. That's something I still listen to. I think mm. that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't really, I, to be honest, I don't listen to that much stuff from yeah. that time i've just you know i went to a lot of concerts and you know mm. s- sung in a lot of services and things like that mm. yeah. so it's all in there i remember i remember once uh, being at a wedding and talking to someone in that way you, you know what do you do mm. and saying oh, I'm, you're a waitress i'm a waitress <laughs> yeah. oh, what, what do you do <laughs> you know i'm a musician and they said what kind of music do you make and i found myself saying i grew up singing in a choir and then I studied experimental music mm. and then somehow put them together. Mm. Yeah. In that way when you try and explain something in a sentence or something. And I, I thought mm. there's some truth in that. Mm. I definitely have the thing of every time I try and write a piece of music, I, I'm sure everyone feels like that, but I've, every time I try and write a song, I think I have no idea how to write a song. Mm. And as, as sort of painful as that is in a way, I hope... That that's a good thing in a way mm. to mm. kind of make. I don't want to be prescriptive to myself and mm. have a formula. More like you know, this is how I'm going to do this. Yeah. Do you ever approach it with that kind of like workman-like way? I mean, that's what something that's so nice in Get Back and and Richard Thompson, I think, that almost kind of does this thing where he sits at his desk, gets up at nine to write songs or something. Mm. But like, I love in Get Back where you know John Lennon's doing a says a thing about you know. Try and end a word with a D, or you know, get a strong sound at the end. You know, and they, they, all mm. these little tricks they fall back on. Do, do yeah. you do you approach songwriting from that kind of quite working way? Like, I need to get this done by the end of the day and stuff. Um, I definitely like giving myself kind of tasks and mm. stuff. And something I've done, I've been do, I've done for this album, and also did it for the last album. It started um, with a friend who's a writer and. Who's having trouble finishing things or getting doing stuff? So I said, why don't we just send some, something to each other twice a month? Mm. Mm. Um, and he didn't really continue, but I just continued doing it, and then I've ended up doing it with a couple of friends. Shane oh, Stoddicky. I did this. Well. I did you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and Leaf Cutter John, mm. and we send each other something first and fifteenth of the month. I sent something them to the to them this morning. Oh, I should get back into this. Mm. And it's brilliant yeah. because it means you've got this deadline mm. yeah. twice a month. So whatever happens, sometimes, you know, you, 
I've been doing quite a bit of work on something and then mm. I submit it. Other times you think, well, I've been busy or whatever, so I'm going to set an alarm 20 minutes on my... Mm. You know, and sometimes you... It might be, I might work all day trying to, thinking, okay, I'm going to spend a day doing that mm. and can't get anywhere. So I just think, okay, I'm going to, I've got 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever, mm. and go, whatever it is, that's, that's, that will be it. And having, having a deadline, but without the pressure of it's got to be any good, mm. which I feel like mm. is the best kind of combination of things to make, uh, situation to make something. Because you, I feel that you need some kind of motivation to do it, to push yourself, but you can't have the pressure of your, on putting yourself to think, oh my God, this has got to be really good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that I find that an unbelievably kind of inspiring way of doing it. Yeah. What's the yeah. other great bit in Get Back, Get Back is of John talking to George when George is writing something, isn't it? Mm. You just got to get something out, say anything. Yeah, just put, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, put cauliflower in, yeah, and then yeah, you can yeah. come back and change it to something else yeah. when you think. <laughs> yeah, because getting it over the line is that's the bit that I always really struggled with. Just yeah. having something that is something, and then you can go back and yeah, I guess it's like a first draft. Of what anything. sort of finishing it? Or yeah, what? I just yeah, to I start resenting songs I write before they're uh, done. <laughs> Whereas actually I think you just got to get get it out and then go back yeah. and patch it up and then before you know it, it's something that resembles quite good. But I just, yeah. the reason why I never kept on writing, I mean, I probably haven't done it for five or six years now, but I, you know, get really excited about, I'd write in sort of flurries, right. be really excited about something, come back to it a week later and just delete it all. Oh, no. <laughs> I, mean, I yeah. think I've got the thing, it's funny what you said about junk, that you like the early version. Mm. I've got this thing where I just can't stop mixing something. And, I remember and then you just, saying that before on something you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Just, and then you look at your files, you look in your drive and you see... <laughs> You're on version 78, <laughs> and you last opened it in 2017. Yeah. You just think, I can't, I, I, I can't finish. I will never finish this. Yeah. But do you, do you, when you write music, do you, when you mention that about junk, do you like the kind of first take kind of thing, the kind of keeping some of that spontaneity? Yeah, I like, there's been other things I've done, do you know about the immersion music method? No. Where you... Mm. Uh, you spend 12 hours, you put 12 hours aside and you, you aim to write 20 pieces of music. Mm. It doesn't matter if you don't reach 20 pieces of music, you just you know, you know just try and get as many as you can. Yeah. So every time I've done it, I think I've done it about 20 times in the last wow. 20 years or something. Um, you, How long does you, the piece of music have to be? Any, any length, there's no, yeah. just whatever. And that's brilliant because you do just get some... I mean, obviously, some of it's awful, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It really doesn't matter, and it amazes yeah. you as well. You know, when you get to the, you get to the end of the 12 hours and then you sit down and listen to them, you sort of almost don't remember doing them, and it's amazing the variety of... You'd think they'd all sound the same or something, but there's, yeah. there's some unbelievable mm. variety. Right. But there's something... There's a spark of something in something, in the good ones. Mm. You think, oh, that's something I want to hold on to that. Yeah. That's so really I feel like it's quite... I, I like doing things in... You know, doing a burst of something... And then yeah. maybe, maybe leaving it, even if it's only for a few days, however long. Mm. And mm. then you can come back to it with a try and have a slightly different sort of mindset to think, okay, I'm going to edit that now. I'm going to. Mm. That's cool. You know, and is this coming up with purely instrumental music? Then? No. Oh, right. No, no. Trying to come up with and that's really, you know, one of the songs on the album I'm doing at the moment I was something where I was like, I, I've been trying to make stuff and it's just, it's all rubbish. 
So I, I emailed the other two just to say, just to give myself permission. I'm just going to set my alarm for 20 minutes and whatever it is. And there's something amazingly freeing about you've got no time to think. You just write yeah. some lyrics. Yeah. You know, you've played something and then I'll just write some lyrics and I'll just sing them. Mm. And there's something amazingly freeing about that, that yeah. you've got no time to worry about. It. So you just, and some of them, sometimes something comes out that you can't express. Mm. Sometimes it's rubbish, but mm. yeah. <laughs> but that's um, I, it's a lovely approach, and I feel like you can you tap into something when you do that. I think like I was listening to Aldous Harding mm. just on the walk here, that great song, "The Barrel." Yeah, and that sounds like she's almost automatically written it, doesn't it? Because what's the line about "show the ferret to the egg"? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just sounds like this kind of like thing you'd come up with, yeah. flaming pie style. But it kind of because of the insistence on it the repetition of it and the fact that she has chosen to yeah put it in the song you start thinking about its meaning and you start <laughs> thinking about what it's tapping into and stuff it's it's very strange it's a very strange song the yeah brilliant video as well yeah a big hat <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's so cool <laughs> Did you watch all of Get Back? Yeah, yeah. What it's were your amazing. thoughts on it? I mean, I feel like I know nothing. So it's really good you've got me on this podcast. <laughs> um, good company. <laughs> um, so I'm sure there's, there just must be so much I've met that doesn't that passed me by on that because I don't know any of the other characters, you know. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it, it was just wonderful. It's just mm. especially because it came in the time you know last couple of years. I have been. Thanks to your podcast, I've been, <laughs> yeah. you know, really re revisiting that and li listening to the Beatles so much, and so it was amazing to see that. Mm. Yeah, I loved it, and and I, there's so much that strikes you about it, not knowing very much. Immediately, just how likable they all are, mm. really, mm -hmm. and how unselfconscious they seem to me. You mm. know, I feel like most bands, if you saw them rehearsing with a with a film crew there, yeah, they'd all be on show in a way that maybe the Beatles are just so used to it but yeah I think their tolerance for being sort of documented must yeah. be you must get to a point where you're just saturated in it and then mm. I guess it was more candid than they'd be used to but yeah, yeah. was there anything from a sort of songwriting point of view that you in, found particularly in interesting in Get Back, back. Yeah. I mean you know the the moment mm. of Get Back mm. is just Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that's, you know, I'm sure everyone, that's the moment you think of most in a way. Mm. Yeah. I, I loved, I loved, uh, to be honest, I, I I watched half of it. I watched like the first half and this half, the second half, you know, a while ago. Mm. And then recently I've gone back and watched all of it. So I only finished watching uh, watching, <laughs> watching it this morning. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the, 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 the last bit of the third one. Mm. And watching the, the rooftop concert, but just because it's not like I've seen that a lot, but it, you have seen it, mm. yeah. even if you haven't, you know, yeah, sorted yeah. it out. And I loved, I loved it, like, when they turned up, it's, like, almost like, oh, they've come dressed as... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, Ringo's got that top, yeah, that yeah. red <laughs> thing on. It's like, oh, yeah. wow. And yeah. I, I, there's something, I think I found that all the way through, and there's something a bit like that in our anthology. 
about uh, the sort of versions that didn't make it onto the album. Mm. And actually going back to Maxwell's Silver Hammer, I found that there's something really stressful about watching some bits like that where you think, oh my God, don't stick with that version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because as much as you don't, probably don't like that song, that version where they, in the film where it sort of ends with that kind of dum dum you know you just yeah. think keep keep working at it mm. so seeing those things come together but they but i guess consoling yourself that they did manage to get to the versions <laughs> yeah know. but it's almost feeling like going back in time and sort of just going oh please you know yeah george mcfly and mm. <laughs> you know meet and yeah, mm, yeah. it is like yeah it's a bit like watching a sort of badly written biopic where they're just <laughs> yeah. like yeah. forcing you to get the payoff at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm watching Get Back for a second time. I, I think I'm so fascinated by the day after, you know, where they recorded the songs they couldn't do on the on the roof. I'm sure, I don't know if I mm. mentioned this on the Is that before. in the credits? Is that what the credits yeah, are? Yeah, that's where they yeah. do um, Long and Winding Road and right. Two of Us. Mm. And, uh, it's a bit of an anticlimax, yeah, but, but it's so much what, uh, part of the story. That's yeah. kind of why I like it. It reminds me of the bit at the end of, you know, Willy Wonka, mm. where he goes into Willy Wonka's office. Do you remember in the film and everything's cut remember. in half? Oh, it's, yeah, he's in this really remember. weird office, like his clock is cut in half and he's got a bust. Oh, wow. and remember that. Everything's cut in half. Anyway, turned weird. it off after the, it, uh, the actual <laughs> end. <laughs> uh, and so all of a sudden Willy Wonka's this hard-working... You know, he's got letters. Which to is write. running a factory. Yeah, he's running a factory. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's just so, it's just really, it feels got really. Purchase orders. Yeah. And, yeah. and it feels, re- <laughs> and then Charlie gives him the everlasting gobstopper and he realizes that Charlie was a good guy and everything. Right. But um, this kind of strange atmosphere of being back in the adult world after the excitement of everything that's going oh, before. Right. It's really kind of profound. And like, I always think like, that when they're filmed doing like two of us, it's like they're in like some weird limbo. You know, like mm. some, it sort of doesn't have anything to do with the rooftop concert or everything that's gone before. It's sort of this such weird, wow. like kind of I don't know, like mm. Beckett played vibe <laughs> yeah. to it. Um, but I, I mean, I love those performances of those songs, but there's such a mm. sadness to it. Cause yeah, you just you know it's coming to an end, and they you know they all know that. Mm. Right. It's like having a big sort of house party when you're moving out of a house, but then you've got to come the next morning and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. make sure that someone yeah. else can move in. So, yeah. <laughs> because it's it's all very workmanlike, all that stuff, isn't it? It's just like, well, we need to get this stuff. Yeah, it's like they're in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I, have, I, I haven't really thought it out properly in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Willy Wonka, yeah. The Afterlife. Come, we'll come back to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bit like in Lord of the Rings where it ends and then it goes on for another half an hour. <laughs> oh my God. So maybe that's just um, Peter Jackson's thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but it's good yeah. though. I mean, what I'm saying is I love that day, but mm. it's, there's something so sad about it as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, it's that feeling of like leaving school or something, yeah. isn't it? There is a sad, yeah. I've definitely felt sad at the end, mm. just thinking, oh, I, w- I want to keep watching this. Yeah. yeah. But there's a, I mean, I was listening to the Jan Wenner interview, you know, the famous Rolling Stone interview mm. John Lennon did. He's basically a depressed person because he's saying, you know, if you ask someone who's depressed, like, who's annoyed you this time? He, you know, he's sort of, <laughs> he's sort of um, is this the one where he's quite he's really sniffy about a lot of the oh, yeah, Abbey Road stuff? Oh, he's and, appalling about yeah, everyone. Really, and George yeah. Martin was very, very offended by it, you know, and, yeah. and all yeah. this. But like, he should the, the the problem was he should never have been taken at his word because he was clearly 
exaggerating and in a depressive state i feel because when you're depressed you don't just say this is bad you say everything's bad yeah yeah and that's what he's doing there and it's just it's sort of just so sad to see think of john in that early 69 where there is that enthusiasm and positivity and think of him at the end of the year it's a year of smack probably doesn't count imagine a band that you were in in your 20s Mm. and when it ended however it ended and however, maybe on the surface, it's fine. If someone, if Rolling Stone interviewed you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and amplified by thousands, yeah. you know, mm. you can imagine the things you could say and not, yeah, not yeah. really mean them. And oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. when you're like him, who's incapable of being diplomatic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do remember the George Martin comments. What What does he say about George Martin? I can't remember the exact things, but mm. it, it took George Martin visiting him to bring it up and. John yeah, and saying like, oh, I didn't. I was off my head. I didn't know what I was saying. Yeah, so. yeah. Basically implied that he was a bit of a hanger on, really, didn't he? Yeah, Ooh, um, he calls Paul um, Engelbert Humperdinck at one point. <laughs> 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 but, yeah. Yeah. She's leaving home. What mm. was it about that song <laughs> that, that moved you to tears? I, I, I couldn't even answer that question. Yeah. And that's what I mean, I, that's what I love about stuff. And I, mm. I'm not too keen to <laughs> to uh, interrogate that usually. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there's something just visceral about it. I mean, there's mm. something, I guess I, I, when you listen to that as a child, it's, you, you definitely feel that that person has had to leave home and mm. you're with them and then... Listening to it now, you're I don't I don't know. You don't know the situation. How bad were the parents? Yeah. But how bad was the child? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But this, yeah. so there's something you know. You, as soon as you try and think about, but there's something just very like you're saying about Paul's thing. Is, is that a Paul song? I presume. Yes, it is. Yeah. Like something very direct, isn't it? There's yeah. Just, yeah. There's Beautiful storytelling. Sort of anguish in there. Yeah. Sort of longing, and I don't know. But I don't know why. Why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Why, I nearly burst into tears quite recently watching an interview with the harpist who played that part. Um, oh, because really? now she's sort of in her kind of whatever she must be, 70s or 80s. And she, you know, just tells the story that isn't particularly interesting of how they just like every session when you're that good, they just plot the music on. And then she just, and then oh, she really? plays it perfectly, but it's wow. so exactly like mm. it is on the record wow. and there's something about this sort of nicely lit shot of this old woman oh, playing this wow. song that i don't think she probably had played it since she had played it in there it's really emotional mm. i'll try and find the link to it and put it in the yeah. podcast description he didn't tell me at the time that it was for the beatles and you never knew who you were going to play with and i was sitting here at half past eight tuning the harp thinking of nothing in particular suddenly a piece of music was plonked on my music stand i gave it a brief look oh yeah right right and then this voice said uh well what you got on the dust meaning uh, what's written on the music i recognized the liverpool accent turned around of course it was paul mccartney uh well first of all i played exactly what was written which is i'm reading the music here into that i think the subject matter is, is sad but it's just i mean the harp is a fantastic yeah. choice yeah um and i can't imagine there were too many harps on rock and roll records in no. 1967 <laughs> yeah. um but it's not sort of i guess harps can be a 
bit sort of slushy, mm. and, and it is a sentimental song, mm. but it's not sort of managed just to steer away from corny right. in a way that Paul is usually walking that kind of tightrope with these sort of, sort of things. Mm. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's just used in such a sensitive way because it's not trying to be sort of magical or overly romantic. Mm. But um, there's yeah, something I mean, quite I love that song. everyday about it at the same time. There's some yeah. Weird it's just your average Mundane person. And sublime, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What were the key albums that your parents had when you were? I think they had like Beatles for Sale and Revolver and Sgt. Pepper. It's mm. probably that's probably those ones. Those were when I was, you know, little. Those mm. were the ones I really listened to a lot mm. and help. That's mm. So I guess that period. Whatever mm. that was. I mean, it, to be honest, it really surprised me. I didn't know. I've I'd, I'd never been very good at knowing how things are made or when they're made. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, those kind of details. So it really surprised me to look back and realise how short a period they were all mm. made in. It sort of blew my mind. Mm. Mm. Like a few years ago, um, I watched that uh, film about Brian Wilson. Yeah. You know, what's, what's Love it? and Mercy. Love and Mercy. Yeah. And. You know, I've always, you know, I like the Beach Boys. I've got mm. that sounds. But it really made me understand, you know, I felt that was an amazing film because mm. it made you really yeah, understand brilliant. something about that. Mm. I don't usually like my music biopics. Mm. And and I and I read a, a, his book, that he, his autobiography, although it's that one. Oh, where he's, nice, that one. It's the one where he's still under the sort of yeah, influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's amazing to, you know, again with that, that they made like, I don't know, 13 albums in short a period of time just mm. absolutely blows my mind mm. yeah well it's a bit like that thing of deadlines that how you know the, mm. how useful and they had to get albums out by to make christmas markets or whatever it <laughs> yeah. was yeah um and then you don't have time to overthink sing. i thought probably a lot of stuff would have been redone on rubber soul and if yeah. they had too much time to do it there's something nice and raw about Mm. the finished ones that you wouldn't want anyone going back to and fiddling with, really. Yeah, because so many things you can, like, in a song you love, there can be moments where it's little, mis- you know, mistakes, but yeah. you love those mistakes. Mm. Yeah, there were, there were quite a lot on those, especially on Rubber Soul and less so on Revolver, but Rubber Soul's got lots of mm. badly right. timed stuff, but it's all part of the charm, wow. and you wouldn't want that to be ever, ever be I, cleared up. It blew, it blew me away watching Get Back as well, the way I didn't really realise that they recorded those live. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, that's, I've never, and, and you know, like on, like with the bo- that new box set and the anthologies and stuff where it says take 33 or something, you're like, mm. oh wow, they, they played that that many times it's mm. more like a film you know sort mm. of doing a film scene. Mm. that's just a completely alien way of making music yeah, yeah it is, it is yeah. now for sure just for the limitations we have you kind of you have to multi-track you know it's weird yeah. it would have it's, it was such a luxury in the 60s to multi-track but now yeah. it's like if you want to make an album I just think when you get to that many tracks, though, you must be like, is it good anymore? Yeah. <laughs> you, like, I, I tell you what, I, 24. It's either 24 or 27. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I mean, I can imagine a lot of situations where you'd be like, this will be good. We just need four more tracks. Yeah. We need to get up to six. If we get a 16-track recorder, this yeah. band is 
gonna you yeah. know, hit the big time. <laughs> I mean, I, I started making music on four tracks, and I think that's. I don't want to be, you know, a middle-aged man yeah, saying it was days. better because yeah. we learned. It. But there was definitely something in that to learn that 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 you know the way you have to be concise with yeah. things and and bounce things down, and that's it. And also, mm. like um, a great thing about four track was the live mixing you had to do. Mm. If you were bouncing to like a master, yeah, 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 actually fade things out and things, yeah, that was all good. I I remember in the back that band Brothers and Sanders, and remember Andy getting these four track recordings from maybe um, Sergeant Pepper or something, and listening Mm. to the four Mm. parts and just thinking, oh my god! I mean, there were things that were bounced, but still, yeah, Yeah. it's. it was amazing, you know, especially because we were making stuff on four tracks, so it really mm. <laughs> yeah. The technology is fundamentally the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's mad, isn't mm. it? And I feel that uh, growing up and starting to make music, you had I had more you had more of a connection with something which like the Beatles, so you could listen to it and have some kind of understanding of what that was. But if mm. I, I've no idea. Like how how was Duran Duran? What what is Duran Duran? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, is that? Duran Duran? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't we have any concept of what that is in a room or yeah. or, or sitting down and making it? But I mean, I for reasons that. I can't really explain. I watched the video for Spies Like Us today. <laughs> that was something I thought about recently. I yeah. thought, I want to watch that again. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's got the Duran Duran thing where it's just like, what is that drum? Like, what is this meant to sound like? It's The video is him in Abbey Road. He's got this really mm. naff sweater on. And it's like as if he's playing it live. But it's just, it doesn't sound anything like a live band. Really? Yeah, Amazing. it's so strange. <laughs> Very interesting Guardian review of Ludovico Einaudi. Oh, I read that. Yeah. 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 No matter what, yeah. he writes a lot of very kind of big soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a one-star review. And I just remember thinking it was such an interesting review because he ends it by saying, you know, the audience are enraptured, but why? They haven't been listening to anything. <laughs> and I thought that was, it's really interesting. And I remember at the time the comments were really interesting because people were saying, like, well, you know, you could play G and then C, and that's mm. a very pleasing chord sequence. And you just play that over and over again. And that could be a really good piece of music. Mm. But what gives instrumental music substance? Why, why for this reviewer, is Einaudi's music lacking in substance? The suggestion I got was that there's, he's a bit of a charlatan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like so it's just a obvious. Yuri Geller kind of. <laughs> yeah, but then I. Yeah. yeah, well, I suppose Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller is far d- from obvious, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, a charlatan. Yeah. yeah. So what? Pulling tricks, doing tricks. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and being quite deliberately lowest common denominator. Yeah, mm. and it's like sort of musical populism for people that go to the Barbican. Yeah. Um, but like sixty pounds to watch a sort of big name musician, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. but um, I really, I'm not personally not a fan of Ludovico and Einaudi. But what I, a lot of the music I really like is very simple. Mm. So what's as a kind yeah. of devil's advocate? Yeah, what's yeah, the no, difference? And I guess you can't um, <laughs> claim to know what the intention behind them either. Yeah, but there's yeah, sim- know, there's simple and then there's obvious. I mean, yes, I feel like there's a good. difference. That's in true. That. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes when you if you hear something, you just think, oh, that's so 
Uh, obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have that it, with um, with Philip Glass actually. Too. Mm. There's some yeah. some stuff I like, but I really think a lot of it is, you know, simple for this. Obviously, yeah. that's what it's meant to be. <laughs> but it's yeah. I'd, but musically, I find it. I don't like things that are sort of intellectual exercise. Mm. You know, it's the antithesis of the kind of music that I liked and studied and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I like big, huge, romantic. Sweeping, right, okay. really complicated, virtuosic. <laughs> you know. So I guess there's an element of that. Yeah, well, it's, it's almost genre exercise, isn't it? I think some Philip Glass has got that sound. What I was trying to talk about mm. earlier, actually, that modern minimalist sound. You play yeah. a certain sequence of notes on the piano, but I in like a kind of an austere way. You'll get something <laughs> quite close to that Philip Glassy sound, right? You do, but I think that the end product's never really that interesting. And yeah. I like the sort of People like Messiaen who will use kind of quite arbitrary sequences or techniques yeah. to make the, something that is not, that is, you know, adheres to some kind of like mm. structure that's quite mathematical. Yeah. But he does it in a way and with an instrumentation or whatever it is where it doesn't feel so cerebral. Mm, it's, right. more, it's more musical. I guess that's yeah. my problem with Philip Glass mm. is it doesn't sound very musical to me. Yeah. And that's, what, right. and that's why I think Jan's music is so good and I'm not just saying this because yeah. you know but he can write very simple music that's you know really simple just mm. four chords or two chords but there's something so like felt about it and it's so genuine and it kind of conveys a naive quality sometimes and it's just so interesting that that is not a million miles away from what someone like Ludovic yeah, was trying I'd say, to do. Right. The, why does that sound naff? <laughs> and Yand can sound so good. A theory would be that your intention as a writer comes through in it sort of tacitly mm. and you might be able to, your receptors might be able to pick up on how it's written, mm. you know, and the intention it's written with. I don't know. Mm. That would be my sort of guess. I didn't yeah. see the concert, so obviously no. No. I have no way of knowing. I'll tell you what I think that. is a really good example of songwriting going wrong. <laughs> um, Travis. Right, okay. <laughs> writing to reach you, okay. Beautiful song. What's, I think. What's, what's it, I, it's a, a song from the man who. I think mm. it's a really good song, except it goes bad. The chorus in the, is the, in the same yeah. song. Because really. my inside is outside. That's a good my bit. Right side is on my That's a lovely change. Boom boom. I'll never reach <laughs> that's you. That's bad. That's it's really, major minor. That's it's, really what's wrong bad. with the major minor? That's <laughs> see that. <laughs> Lovely. It's terrible. That's bad. Um, the only way to yeah, teach maybe. you. That's so naff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm a big travelist. But, like, but that song is so good, and it's like, if you like, songwriting is all about decisions, isn't it? So like, yeah. you've got that amazing yeah. hook, and then you just it kind of just goes just loses really its way a little obvious bit. Change at the end. Yeah. The only way to teach you. Yeah. I mean, it's very poppy stuff. Yeah. Sorry um, if you're listening, Trav. I, yeah. I really think there's something amazing about stuff that uh, that feels wrong to you as well. There's something mm. I, I think it's one of the most wonderful things in life that you know, with a film or music or anything, where you you can just listen to something or watch something and think, I love this. Yeah. And I love every decision that has led to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and that's wonderful. And you can also watch something and think, this is terrible. Yeah. 
but it's sort of the same spectrum and it's amazing yeah. and that mm. d- different people could totally have the same different responses to something mm. yeah and it's wonderful it's like mm. magic yeah <laughs> yeah it is and even even that sort of thing where the decisions leading up to a certain part of the song you're like yes yeah yeah and then you're like no <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> there's a yeah. song I've on an album that i like and I won't say who it is, but it starts, and the first, uh, the opening line is just amazing. Right. I absolutely love it. And then it repeats the same line. Uh, and I just, oh. Yeah. The waste. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So before you go, Ed, we'll just ask you the question we ask everyone on the podcast. Do you have a controversial Beatles opinion? Uh, now, obviously, as a listener of the podcast, I'm <laughs> aware of this question. And it's a hard one, especially for someone who doesn't know anything. So you don't know what is contra- what's a controversial opinion for one. Mm-hmm. one. I kept having these sort of really ridiculous really controversial opinions but then realizing no i don't i don't agree with that at all um mm. uh, like when i start, started re-watching get back i started to not like george very much <laughs> oh, yeah. but yeah. but it's unfair and yeah. i'm totally I'm, I'm totally not i definitely mm. don't agree with that and i'm not going to come on a beatles podcast and say you know what? i don't like george Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he gets mal evans <laughs> just going by but i think it, there's something there's something it, 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 about i think the only thing is in in that first episode he, he's holding something back. Mm. I feel like the others you, uh, are a lot more direct. Maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong. That's just, yeah, no, but I it seems like he's holding back. And also, that, that's something you could, I could read about that kind of. And knowing, I'm feeling, I, you know what it feels like to be not the per- best person in the room, but still want to have your mm. your voice heard and how mm. you deal with that and stuff. So I think I, but I I totally don't believe in that. I think he's you know I and the thing that's wonderful about the Beatles is is everything about the Beatles. Yeah. And one of the things that really annoys I try not to go on this thing. One of the things that really mm. annoys me about that James Corden film, the Yesterday. Sorry to make it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> but there's something about that where where it, it James kind Corden of... and Ed Sheeran are in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've forgotten. It, it, yeah. It, I remember talking to you about it at the time when I watched it because I think you spoke about it and yeah. it was uh in the moment I really enjoyed it more than I thought it would. Just yeah. it's something mm. you know, you're kind of enjoying something about the Beatles. But what I hated about it apart from a lot of things, was it, it kind of completely erases the band. Mm, it's like yeah. the idea that these songs, which are amazing, like some of the best songs ever written, but the guy that someone's just singing could sing that and everyone's going to turn around, turn their head mm. and go, oh my God, that's the best thing yeah, ever. Yeah, as if you didn't need the four... Totally. I, I, that's sort of, yeah. There's something really fundamental about that mm. really annoyed me. Anyway, yeah, that's a really good point. So I guess my, my, my opinion really is just, and I don't even know if it's in a controversial opinion, is that I totally love real love and free as a bird. I mean, that's right. probably... I don't know how people feel about this that these days. I think mm. there was probably some sniffiness at the time. Mm. But I just... Yeah. I remember them listening, to, hearing those when they came out and just being utterly bewitched, mm. this kind of passing in time. And, and 
even I, th I think real love is done with love. I, mm. And I, I hope you're not going to tell me, you know, there's some horrible acrimonious thing that happened in the background. <laughs> no, I don't think me. so. But I just, I just, I think they're absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. yeah. And also going back to, in a way, going back to that average person thing, not with that, but I, I listened to the Frog Chorus recently mm. and I just, I mean, it, it's not like the best thing he ever did, but it's, I think it's pretty wonderful and yeah. I still mm. love it. And it's amazing that it's got this reputation of like, oh, the frog chorus mm. when when average person exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's definitely not the worst thing he ever did. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, what is the reputation of, I think three is a bird is thought of more fondly as real love because really? I think real love, people knew the demo oh, did better. They? I think, uh, I think it's just like anything, like even, you know, the Revolver box set. There are people who love it and there are people who yeah. don't love it. And I think it was a similar in the 90s, really, wasn't yeah. it? My most watched bit of the anthology probably is them back in the studio mm. in the DVD extras yeah. when they're making those. Really? So I just love to see them back playing. And even though they're obviously, George is really there for the money. Sure, and it's quite sure. obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I think as... Paul says he prefers Free as a Bird because he got to have some input in it because he yeah. wrote the bridge or whatever. Um, Whereas the yeah. other one, I guess people feel like, oh, it's the song's finished and it's a John song and it doesn't sound quite as beatly. I think Free as a Bird's lovely. I think the chords are lovely. Yeah. The video was so brilliant and still yeah, I never. Brilliant. I remember watching that on Top of the Pops when they premiered it and that was pretty, yeah, pretty awesome. incredible. I still find the video really moving. Yeah. And I we remember, mentioned it before, but the guitar solo is fantastic. Yes, it, yeah, yeah, it's great. No one's ever professed their love for the, uh, <laughs> the anthology singles, so that's a good controversial opinion. <laughs> So that was our chat with the fantastic Ed Dowie, who is a really lovely man, as I'm sure you have worked out yourselves. Thank you so much to Ed for coming and joining us and sharing some personal Beatles with us and really recommend his albums and very excited to hear what's coming. Mm, yeah, it was such a good chat. Next week, we're going to take a little bit of a breather, a sort of mid-season break, if you will, because I'm going on holiday to New York City the Windy Apple. <laughs> so we'll have something for you next week, but uh, it's not going to be a normal episode. So we won't tease who it's going to be. It will be something from the vaults, which uh, most of you won't have heard before. But we'll keep it as a surprise, shall we? Yeah, sounds good. Let's say it is mentioned in this episode. <laughs> um, I should say that the uh, documentary piece that I was talking about with the harpist who played on She's Leaving Home in the Sergeant Pepper sessions. The link to the full interview there's in the description. I was really struggling to find it because I couldn't remember where I'd seen it. I thought it was probably, at, you know, Sheffield Documentary Festival or Venice or something. Turns out it's from the one show. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. it's still, still really good. Mm. Um, and then there's an interview with her and Ringo afterwards which is really funny, and Ringo is on superb form. Nice. Um, if you can ignore Chris Evans's interjections. <laughs> um, so check that out in the old description. Should we do a bit of Weekly Wings? Yeah, take it away. Take it away. So this week on Weekly Wings, it's a song from Back to the Egg, 
mm-hmm. which is uh, the Last Wings album. It doesn't have a great reputation, let's <laughs> no. say, but um, the song I really, really like, the song that really struck me when I first listened to it, is uh, a really, really short song called We're Open Tonight, which mm. is only a minute and a half long. It's a, it's kind of weird, because in the context of this semi-conceptual album, which yeah. is about a kind of band going on tour, and it's got the, all this bombast on it, there's the kind of, what, what's the big song, the rock rockestra theme, <laughs> and you know, it's got some real kind of glam rock, almost new wavy moments in mm. it. There's this really kind of short acoustic song. And there's something very beautiful about it. And I really love the the two guitars playing off against each other. Mm. Paul was playing this figure on the acoustic guitar. And the guitarist Lawrence Juba got his 12-string guitar out of his case. And it was in this weird tuning. Right. And so he played along to the same thing. But the the strings sound really kind of, the, the way they harmonize is really nice. I wonder if it's a 12-string and if like one of the, the kind of duplicate strings was detuned against the other one, if you see what I mean. Yeah. You know, you get those kind of naturally ringing harmonies. So it's a really lovely kind of moment in kind of quite an odd album. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know this album at all, really. And I will admit that, I mean, I must have heard it before, but it didn't sort of ring any bells, really. But Mm. yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's a great exercise in what you can do with melody when you're using two chords. Um, Mm. Not even really. I mean, it's a major and a minor chord. That's it. Um, yeah, which is, and I think it obviously it doesn't outstay its welcome at ninety seconds. No. But it's interesting in the context of what we were talking about in this episode with Ed Dowie, because we're talking about sort of songs that are impossible to finish. Um, and yeah. this is just a great little sort of sketch or a, a vignette if you're being pretentious, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it's very a lot of this Wingsy stuff is very sort of uh, atmospheric and theatrical, and mm. just makes me think it's unbelievable that. Paul McCartney's never made like a big West End Yeah, All of this stuff would suit it perfectly, really. Definitely. And also in the context of this conceptual album, it's like, well, what is this song actually doing? I mean, it's saying like, we're open tonight. Okay, it's like, we're a band, we're going to do a gig. But the the actual kind of genre of the song, like, what is it? It's like a really weird dual guitar kind of piece, you know. Yeah, and it is it is a kind of acoustic number, but you couldn't describe it as stripped back. No. You know, it's very heavily produced, and there's tons of instruments on it, and xylophones. and Yeah, the Paul McCartney Project website, which is really, really such a great resource, um, mm. quotes from L- Lawrence Juber, and he says there's a wah-wah guitar, there's tremolo guitar, volume pedal on the bass, glockenspiel, and backing vocals, and bongos. <laughs> So yeah. for 90 seconds, hell of a lot going on. Yeah, extraordinary song. Check mm. it out. So we will be back soon. Can't give you a full date, but there'll be something in your feeds next week. And we'll be back with a little Christmas special. I think we can probably tell you what it is. Yeah. If you enjoyed our covers challenge that we did last year with Johnny White, Really Really, we're very pleased to say that he's back. We've chosen our songs. We're working on them, beavering away, as it were. And uh, we'll give you the results of that and a Christmas special coming in a few weeks' time. So all that to look forward to. Continue to leave nice reviews about the podcast, if you so wish, on Apple Podcasts and get in touch with us. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Keep bloody beetling on. Keep beetling on. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.